0: We're going to come and uh, read the Bible for us from Luke chapter 24 and you'll find the Black Bible on page 1,608. Thanks, Audrey. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish are you, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things, and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. were not our hearts burning within us while he taught with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread.
1: Well, Good morning. Uh, my name is Aaron for those that haven't uh, met me yet. Most people know my wife, Susanna, the head of the, the children's uh, time here. And most people know Miles more than they know me as well. He's the uh, cute little one about, about Yay Big. Uh, before we come to the time of word, why don't we just uh, open with just a quick word of uh, prayer? Dear Jesus, we're so thankful that you have given us your word. I pray that you will slow our minds and open our hearts just to have this short time to hear from you and see what you would like to say to us in your name. Amen. I remember standing bedside with a family uh, whose son had just committed suicide. I remember the grief and tears you know all over their faces I mean, wouldn't that be all of us just imagine but I think what I remember the most was the, the despair and the disappointment with God because their expectations of who God was just wasn't matching up if he was a God of love how could how could he let this happen you can just imagine the questions I knew this family I knew that they had a faith in God but in the moment, I could see that it was all falling apart. I, just, I distinctly remember them saying, how could God do this? They were reliving the last day and over everything they could have done, maybe the things they missed, what they didn't, what they should have stepped in and said. There was regret, there was anger, there was frustrations, there was fear, there was even denial. They were heading down a dark lonely road maybe you know someone like this maybe they've lost their job maybe there's relationship problems maybe chronic health issues that they're dealing with maybe there's children making poor choices and they've just lost hope maybe that's you maybe circumstances have tempted you to give up on following Jesus, not giving up loving Jesus but just giving up pursuing him with the only energy that you've got left just to muster up enough to turn up on Sundays. The book of Luke is gonna present a picture of a savior who is out seeking and saving those who are lost, no matter who they are. We've got the blind, we've got the Pharisees, got the rich young men, their children, lepers, widows, Samaritans, Gentiles, or, as Jesus said to the tax collector in Luke 19:10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And what we're going to see in this story this morning is two people walking away from everything that meant so much to them because they'd lost hope in Jesus. The question for you and I is this: What is it that you and I need when hurt and disappointment with God? Is taking over. So if you have your Bibles, um, or if you don't read on with someone out next to you or open up your phone or your iPad or whatever it is, let's read verses 13 to 15. Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them. So the story takes place on a Sunday afternoon. It's three days after Jesus was crucified. It's Easter Sunday. And these two people are heading home to a little village called Emmaus. They're going home because as far as they're concerned, it's over. I mean, uh, Jerusalem's the Christian hub. All the other disciples are there. They're sharing stories about the risen savior they're helping each other through what's a really difficult time but these two people just want to leave they're going to separate themselves from that and just go home and as they're walking and they're debriefing about what's just happening they're trying to process everything the phrase in verses 15 which says talked and discussed It's literally just a bantering of ideas back and forth with great emotion in a search for answers. They desperately want to know why their expectations of a Messiah has come to such a tragic end. I mean, the one they placed all their hope and trust in has just been sentenced to death and crucified. Now, here comes the tension. The one who could relieve all their pain all their anxiety, all their suffering in an instant, just by showing his face that he is alive, he hides himself from them. Have a look at verse 15 and 16 again. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. Jesus is going to walk alongside them through this pain, but he's going to do it hidden If Jesus revealed himself straight up, I'm sure their pain and unanswered questions would have been immediately resolved. But he doesn't do that, does he? I wonder if you ever feel like Jesus is hiding his face from you. You might be inclined to question, is this even loving? Why prolong the pain? But these two travellers are kept from seeing in the immediate so Jesus could meet their real need. I want you to notice something key here. These two who are walking away from Jesus are being pursued by Jesus. And that's important. These two who are walking away from him are being pursued by Jesus. And we're going to see shortly that there's something else impeding their eyesight and something that may even impede our eyesight. But before we get there, let's continue on with the story. What does Jesus do? Let's read verses 17 to 19. And he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still and their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. Jesus asks a question. Look at their response. He says, Have you just come from Jerusalem and seriously don't know what has happened? You've been living under a rock? I mean, the the irony here is, of course Jesus knows, doesn't he? But he asks, what things? This is interesting, Jesus is the one who's just been crucified. Jesus has the nail-pierced hands. Jesus has had his back ripped open. He's got the scars across the forehead. He was the centre of it all. But he asked them, what's just happened? I don't have all the answers, I'm not real sure, but it's worth pondering why Jesus does that. But at the very least, Jesus wants them to articulate what's on their mind and hearts and give an honest response. And What we're going to get here in these next couple of verses is these people telling Jesus who Jesus is. Have a look at verses 19b. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. I want you to notice they're talking about Jesus, not in hopeful terms, but in past tense terms. He was an almighty prophet. He was a good man, he was a righteous man, but that was all in the past. They've missed something vital about Jesus, haven't they? The weekend just gone has put on something, has put on display something far more glorious about who Jesus is. He's the Messiah, He's the Christ, He's the risen Savior of the world, and all they've got is He was a mighty prophet. Have a look at verses twenty to twenty-one. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. Now we're getting to the bottom of it. Do you notice that phrase? But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They were hoping, you can see their dilemma, can't you? They were hoping in something false. It's all come crashing down. They had an expectation that Jesus didn't meet. He wasn't the kind of Messiah that they wanted. On the cross, Jesus purchased purchased salvation for all. who put their faith and trust in him. He paid the penalty. He bought back a people for himself. And we can all be a part of that number if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And the irony in this story is this. The one who was meant to redeem Israel... Has actually just redeemed Israel they just can't see it they're blind have a look at 21 to 24 but we'd hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel what's more it's the third day since all this took place in addition some of our women amazed us they went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body they came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. The point they're trying to make here is that if Jesus had actually risen, then surely he would have shown up by now. Like, can you imagine the fanfare? But no one's seen him. Where is he? They've hinged their faith in Jesus upon physical sight, and an experience. And I want you to notice something about this story. Their physical blindness in seeing Jesus is going hand in hand with their spiritual blindness. Can you see the danger of having a false theology of Jesus? You might actually miss seeing Jesus. He could be right there walking alongside you and you might miss him. Maybe you don't believe God works through suffering well, then you're not going to see him in your pain. Maybe you don't think God answers your prayers, then you're not going to see him answer your prayers. I think one reason Jesus doesn't reveal himself immediately is because of where he takes them next. They needed a foundation built on faith and rooted in the scripture, not faith built on experience. And he also goes there because this is what we need. So let's have a look at how Jesus responds to them. Look at verses 25 and 26. And he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Look what he calls them. He calls them foolish and slow to believe. He's reprimanding them not for knowing he's reprimanding them for not knowing their scriptures and accepting its content as truth. And you know what, this tells us: this tells us, if we have the scriptures, then we are also accountable to know what they teach and to believe it's truth. And if we don't know, then we're foolish. If we haven't stopped to examine these with eyes of faith, then we're fools. The fool doesn't think they need to be informed by Scripture. If we neglect to understand all Scripture, then we lack the insight to know what we need to navigate navigate life's hardest questions. The key word in verse 25 is all. I'm sure they believed some of the Scriptures, but they had selective information, a partial understanding of Scripture, which is so dangerous. Can you see the rhetorical question in verse 26? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? That's a condemning question for them because their response should have been, yes, you're right, Jesus did need to suffer. Does the Old Testament teach that Christ will rule over Israel and indeed the whole earth? Absolutely. But they'd fix their expectations on partial truth. And they had not believed all that was written in the rest of the Bible. Partial knowledge is disastrous. The fault is never with the scripture, but it's our slow heart to believe. If you're slow to believe God's promises, you're going to be slow to receive God's benefits. This is one reason why we're committed to preaching verse by verse through whole books of the Bible because we need the whole counsel of God don't we we need the whole counsel of God being slow to heart means that they were sluggish towards God's word there was no push there was no desire to know it fully this reveals an attitude problem doesn't it a priority problem towards the scriptures they were quick to believe in the promises concerning the kingdom and the removal of the Roman yoke But they were slow to believe the promises of a suffering saviour who must die for our sins and who would rise from the dead. So what does the saviour do? Have a look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't that be a sermon you'd love to have a listen to? But he opens the word... He explains it to these two people concerning himself. He shows them Jesus in the Word. Now, Jesus could have just spoken, couldn't he? He was there. Jesus is the Word. He could have just spoken, and that would have been enough. But he wanted them to see Jesus in the Scriptures. I don't want you to miss the significance of this. On the 40 days that Jesus had left on earth... The Lord Jesus spent an entire afternoon ministering the word to these two people. Now I think at the very least, one of the reasons why Jesus took these people to the word was because in about 20 verses time, Jesus is gone from this earth. No longer are they going to be able to go up and tap Jesus on the shoulder and have that conversation like they used to. They need to see Jesus and hear from Jesus through the Word of God. Does this not show us that the concern and priority of the Saviour is for us to know Him through the Scriptures too? Do you want to see Jesus? How much time do you spend in the Word actually looking? Surely this is a mark of the Bible's authority and indispensability to our life here on earth. Don't we need that attitude? And priority. What are you doing to make the Bible a prominent place in your family? Maybe in your marriage? Maybe in your children's life? Just because we don't feel or see the Bible's importance doesn't negate its importance to our lives. It just makes us fools. Just because you don't see or you don't feel the Bible's importance, it doesn't negate the Bible's importance for our lives. It just makes us fools. I think one way of applying this is being committed to Bible reading and meditation of Scripture. This doesn't mean that everyone should sign up to Bible college, although that's a perfectly reasonable application. You can chat to Luke after the service if you would like. But it does mean that we should find ways have scripture in our lives in our homes in our families have you thought about reading a small portion uh, maybe after dinner time with your family or your own personal time in the word find a good devotional to work through how about putting scripture up on the wall in your house we have a little blackboard as we walk in through the main door and uh susanna will routinely go through and rub it out and put a new scripture verse up just something to remind us when i look in when we walk in through that front door Out of all the things that Jesus could have done to dispel their lack of hope, he guides them through the scriptures. Out of everything else he could have done, he chose to guide them through the scriptures. And you know what? We have those same scriptures right here with us in our hands. The least we could do is meditate and read them too. I think the best place to correct a false hope is to be guided towards the real hope, namely Jesus found in Scripture. Do you feel that God doesn't care? Then read 1 Peter 5, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Jesus cares for you. Do you feel that God isn't near? Then read Hebrews 13, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is present. Do you feel that God is holding back on blessings? Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for our soul, how will he not graciously give us all things? Jesus gave his life for you. Jesus has given himself to you. Do you feel that your life is a spiritual wreck? Then How about reading 1 John 1.9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. So how about Romans 8? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Jesus has paid for your sins, past, present, and future. What an important lesson for all of us and something we could all work on, making the word of God a prominent place in our lives. Because this is what God has given us to show us Jesus to give us direction. Now let's finish the story. Let's read 28 to 31. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. So they arrive at their destination, this place called Emmaus, and they invite Jesus into their home. But' you notice Jesus doesn't come in as a guest here? He becomes their host. He goes to the fridge, their fridge, grabs the the food and he breaks it and he ministers to them and the words he uses in verses 30 are almost the exact same words that Jesus used when he was at the last supper just a few days ago in Luke 22. In the last supper he took bread, he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you jesus became that that lamb at passover that was slaughtered for their salvation who was slaughtered for our salvation and he said don't to miss this he said do this in remembrance of me in the breaking of the bread all of these things came together and their eyes were opened they remembered This is why having scripture in your life is so important because we need to be reminded. Not just on Sundays, but every day. This is why we as a church share the meal of remembrance together. We are prone to forget. I want you to notice now that their physical sight in seeing Jesus is going hand in hand with their spiritual sight. Now they can see Jesus for who he really is. God, in his perfect wisdom, didn't let them recognize Jesus until the time was right. He didn't let them suffer in grief a moment longer than was necessary for them to see Jesus for who he really was. Spiritual maturity rarely occurs instantaneously. So if you're going through a tough time right now, hang in there. Keep looking for Jesus. Let's read 32 to 35 They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them, that happened in their way um, and how Jesus was recognised to them when he broke the bread. What an amazing story. They start off blind to who Jesus is. They're upset, they're discouraged, and they're walking away. But the story now ends with them able to see, and they're rejoicing. They rush back on the same road, but in a different direction, back to be with their true family, their brothers and sisters in Christ. With limited time left on earth, Jesus chose to pursue two people we know nothing about, they were going to a to-, to a town, we don't even know where it exists. This Jesus was about seeking and saving the lost, and so should we. We should be about pursuing those who were on the mayus road, those who were discouraged and hurt. But maybe that's us. Maybe you're despairing of life circumstances and your expectations have come crashing down. What is it that you and I need most when hurt and disappointment with God is taking over? We need to see Jesus with eyes of faith sourced in the word of God. I still remember standing by that hospital bed. By the way, I work in a hospital for those that didn't catch with the story. I still remember standing by that hospital bed and a pastor came in. He sat by them and he opened the word and he read for them because they couldn't read through tears in their eyes. I remember hearing the pastor stop reading and the mum saying, don't stop reading, please. After some time, he prayed for them and he moved on. But I could see that their countenance had changed. Their spirits had lifted. Maybe they remembered And it was later on in the afternoon that the decision was made to turn the machine off that was breathing for their son. I closed the curtains and I let them have that time. A couple hours later, the dad surfaced and he said that they were going home. He gave me a hug and he whispered in my ear that God is good. The mum came out with a smile on her face, but all she could do was just squeeze my arm I knew they turned back and that they were running back to Jesus I knew that God had revealed himself to them through the scriptures I knew that despite how they felt they put their faith in what they knew to be true about Jesus and I knew that Jesus was seeking and saving the lost this is it this is the last phrase the heart of the Emmaus story is about a saviour seeking and saving the lost. But it's also about a saviour who is driving us towards a deeper faith. Not a faith that relies on sight, not a faith that relies on immediate resolution of our troubles and questions, but a faith that is rooted and found in God's word, a faith that finds resolution In the scriptures a faith that is built on the foundation of the actual word of God a faith that sees Jesus clearly for who he is let's pray dear God we're so thankful that you have not left us without revealing yourself through the Word of God God, I pray for um, our eyes that they will be opened to see Jesus among us, maybe today. God, I pray that you will work on all of our hearts to slow down and to meditate upon what you have said for us. God, these people missed that Jesus had risen, and he has risen indeed. Amen. God, we just ask that you will uh, bless the rest of the time that we have this morning in your name. Amen.